0: Welcome to episode six of five minutes to stand. I've had this topic for this podcast on my mind for over a week. So literally, life has been so crazy, it's been hard to sit down and get it recorded. And navigating through what it means to be a person who stands for truth. We have to evaluate all parts of our life. This includes who we allow to speak into our lives. I'm one of those weird and unique people for so many reasons, but the one reason specifically I'm going to address today is that I desire to walk in authority and honor those who God has placed as leaders in my life. But I also don't mind doing something that is right, even if the leaders don't. That's where I get into trouble. If we do not have a solid person speaking into our life and giving us advice on how to proceed with different things, it can really hinder what God is trying to do. I was recently watching a podcast that talked about this to some degree. In my attempts to get this very podcast recorded, I've actually acquired more things that I feel like will offer helpful information to you. So the delay hasn't been totally a bad thing. The podcast I was watching is called Elijah Streams with Johnny and Enloe. The section that I listened to just recently was regarding the movie Titanic and the quartet that played on the ship while it sank. It was really an insightful picture for me to see how sometimes we can be doing something that's beautiful and has the appearance of being effective, but actually offers nothing in the end and is a waste of our time. I know in the movie it was important for them to do what they did, so I'm not knocking their decision to do that at the time. But in light of what is going on in our world today, it seems to me that there are so many who are willing to take a beautiful gesture and offer that instead of real much needed tools to wage the war we're actually in. I've been reading a lot of history on the education system recently and trying to get to the bottom of where we actually laid down our ability to speak into the public sphere. We gave our authority away. There's several paths that you could pursue to get to the place where this began, but in the end, the results is still the same. Our voice as a church is non-existent in the public sphere. Somewhere along the lines, we were told not to vocalize what we knew to be true and helpful in the public sphere, lest it would offend someone. I think this fits in with that quartet playing on the Titanic illustration. To me, it seems like it would have been more helpful for them to go around and find objects that could be used as flotation devices since there weren't enough boats instead of just standing around playing music. I know people will see the beauty of what they did, but in light of our history, we are the quartet. We have tools in our tool belt to help people, but currently we are just encouraged to use the least offensive tool no matter what. So they could have used their their critical thinking to come up with solutions for those who weren't able to get on the boat and help them find at least a possibility of surviving, whereas what they did really in the end just allowed people to die with beautiful music playing and no real solutions to help them solve the actual problem they have, which was how to live for as long as possible while the ship sank. We are not encouraged to use our voice to scream, at people and direct them like they would have needed to on that boat or the ship to a better and safer place to stand so they could possibly get on a boat. We're not encouraged to stand and yell at people who are not getting enough people on the lifeboats to let more people in or on them. We are to remain polite. We are encouraged to remain polite and demure no matter what rebellion, a righteous indignation is not allowed. So in that scenario, there needed to be some more aggressive things done to help people out and it seems as a church we're told not to be aggressive not to use our authority to regain control of the public conversation so that we can offer truths that actually help people i see so many amazing people who are not using their gifts and talents because somewhere along the way they were told they had to be given permission first before they could act or use their voice it is an unspoken understanding many have bought into the church and they don't even realize that's what they agreed to So this is why your mentor matters. Those you choose to let speak into your life could significantly impact what God uses you for in the places you're at. So many in the church have served under people who do not empower them to walk in what God has called them to. There are so many needs that we have in our cities, our towns, and our churches that need our voice. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Your voice matters, and you need to start speaking up in the place that God has placed you. If if you look to leadership to show you what you can do, you might be waiting forever. I found that to be true for me. I didn't have people coming and saying, hey, Tammy, this might be something you'd look into doing. Why don't you go for it? In fact, I would say, hey, this is something I think that needs to be addressed and dealt with. And they said, no, that will cost you socially. You don't want to do that because you never know when you'll need their social graces to help you on the next project or task. Or no, that would cause them to become... um, personally attacking you and you don't want to have to deal with that and so I was even thinking of that as I'm speaking this now this the situation where if I'd stood up and did the right thing so many other people would know the danger of what's going on and because I didn't I lost my opportunity to utilize the mantle that God had given me in that place in that season so I did find myself in civil circumstances where I want to try some things and I was told no That's not something that seems like a good fit or keep those thoughts to yourself or incognito. One person even told me that they had no position for me when I never was even asking for one. So that was really confusing. So then you have to observe how those you've let mentor you respond and recognize. Well, let me say that again. So you have to observe how those you've let mentor you respond and then recognize when it's not a good fit. It is important here to identify why it's not a good fit and what can I do to pursue something else that allows me to use my voice, gifts, and talents or pursue another relationship. So if you don't identify why it wasn't working, then you'll easily fall into that trap again and you must identify what it was that you were allowing that person to silence you and the things that God has, has called you to do. Sometimes, honestly, it's in our insecurities that it keep us from having confidence to find people who will challenge us and step into that, what God's called us to. And for me, I know that I trusted the reputation of some people over my gut feeling of something was off because these people had the reputation of being such amazing people, amazing, godly people that I shouldn't have this conflict within what I'm supposed to do and what they're telling me to do. And so that was out of insecurity that I didn't respond appropriately. Sometimes it takes walking through a relationship with a mentor who does not call you to need to, to pursue the greater things so that you can see the contrast when you find someone that does. I'd rather go to a million bad mentors to try and find the one right one than sit back in the corner with not no confidence what to do next, and never getting to finally experience the, uh, the 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 abundance that God has promised. The only way we find mentors that will be a good fit is by testing out ones that we think might be great, and then they are, or maybe they weren't as great as we thought they were, and that is not a bad thing. A lot of this is a personality dynamic, so it's not that these people aren't godly or don't want the things of God, but there are dynamics at play, and... We need to find ones that complement our personalities to encourage us to stand up for truth. And if you don't have this as part of your repertoire or your tool belt, you will not be able to do the things you need to do as successfully as if you are doing them with someone to encourage you along the way. So I do have some real life examples of this reality of the mental struggle. I mentioned um, a couple of things earlier. I've experienced the things that I'm trying to get you to open your mind to because it's a scary thing to do something without always having the encouragement or, or acknowledgement that it's a good idea to go for it. And it wasn't because someone told me these things. This is what I've learned through trial and error because everywhere I seemed to turn, people could not understand the way God created me, that there was some anomaly in me that made them baffled at really hearing that my heart was in the right place and I was hearing some things from God that I needed to do because it was so much outside the box of what most people do that it really uh, caused me to feel like I was walking in mud for several years because I wasn't actually getting to move in the direction I was called to move. I'm sure there's so many people in history that we could look to that tried things that didn't seem like they were a good idea to those around them. And people kind of made fun of them for it before they actually stepped into success. Honestly, Albert Einstein is one of those men who I've recently been able to read about that had a chance to revolutionize the way we view the world and how it was created in the science realm. But because it required him to stand up and speak against the mainstream to get their approval, he lost the recognition opportunity he deserved and someone else came behind him and did exactly what he was afraid to do. And thereby, we don't even recognize his contribution to this discovery. And if you want to learn more about that, I highly recommend reading Is Atheism Dead by Eric McTaxis. in the part two. They talk, oh, actually, it's part one. I'm sorry. Part one talks a lot about science and how it has really gotten a bad revisionist version told to so many people. That's a different story for a different day, but I was recently reminded that the only successful people are those who are successful at failing. We have this idea that we're just supposed to do it right the first time, and that is not real. I don't know if where we've gotten that on our minds that the people who succeed never fail, but actually it's the people who are willing to fail that typically are the ones who are succeeding. So don't look at failure as what the world would say it is, but look at it as part of your journey to get to where God wants you to go. So when I saw an injustice that was happening in our community or just in society in general, I did not feel like I had permission to speak truth to address it. It wasn't until I was forced in a corner to either choose to stand up and say, this isn't true, this is true, or I was going to be swallowed up with the voices that said, we don't want to offend anyone. We're just going to lay low for this. I'm actually working through the book tactics that I re- recommended an episode or two ago with my teenagers Teenagers right now. One of the comments Greg Kukol made in chapter two is that we in chapter two that we read was that the arguments are arguments are good and dispute is healthy they clarify truth and protect us from error and religious despotism when the church discourages principal debate and the free flow of ideas the result is shallow christianity and sense and a false sense of unity no one gets any practice at learning how to feel contrary views in a gracious and productive way the oneness shared is contrived, not genuine. Worse, the ability to separate we from chaff is lost. When arguments are few, errors abound. So interestingly enough, I noticed that our former church had posted a black square to give a shout out for the oppression that George Floyd, or the perceived oppression that George Floyd faced in his arrest and subsequent death in May 2020. No correction or knowledge, acknowledgement was made that it was done after the fact, but I saw it and I was baffled and wondered why. Why would they take such a bold stand when I've never seen any stand come from them before? It was offensive and frustrating that they could do something so vocal and never once acknowledge why they did it or why they shouldn't have done it. One thing I've learned in the last two years is how many people are willing to buy into what people say about them. No one thought, hey, let's see what actually happened because we were there, We weren't there and all we've seen is a clip of the entire circumstance. And so that's only part of what went on. We only know part. So we really can't make a really accurate judgment. Let's see what actually happened before we declare and protest racism. Because I guess what COVID had started to do and all that happened before where people just started blindly falling wherever they were led. So it broke my heart to see that my former church had jumped on this social justice bandwagon and promoted an idea that was unsubstantiated. In fact, all the officers of the officers that were charged racism was never even a topic of discussion that we later saw in the court system. There have been many leaders within the church that I've seen stand up and cry out the same message of oppression and injustice, the privilege and power of social justice movement, but where are they now? It's all crickets. I don't know of anyone but maybe one or two that have retracted their statements. I've not heard one of them say, you know, I really thought this was the path forward, but I've learned something better. And this is now how we should go because it lines up with what the Bible says about how we are to approach these topics relevant in our culture. So two things are at play here. They've changed their mind and they don't feel the need to correct the misleading statements, hoping no one will notice or that they may have probably misled a lot of people and they don't, recognize the gravity of their impulsivity to jump on a social justice movement that was not founded in anything but emotion and passion. Or the second thing is they could be in agreement with this toxic ideology that has infiltrated the church. I share the story of the black square because that is when I found my voice. Not too long after I was told by leadership that or not too long after that black square incident, I was told by that same leadership that I needed to be careful about expressing myself too much on social media. Now, I don't know if they were addressing me specifically or if that was just the blanket statement they told everyone, but it was unsolicited advice given to me at a time when I didn't know where they stood. And I didn't ask for their advice because they weren't showing me how to respond to the culture that was begging for, answers to questions that no one could seem to find real answers based in truth. If I'd seen the example mauled before me how to stand and speak truth into the social circumstances that everyone was seeking answers to, I would have had a better idea of how to do it. But the silence was deafening. I knew no one really standing up for what it was except regurgitating the lie that everyone was buying into hook, line, and sinker. Not just because I didn't see it doesn't mean they weren't doing it, but I was seeking it and looking for someone to give me a shred of hope that someone else was standing up for the things I saw happening in our culture. And I I couldn't find it. Now I try to engage in conversations because of this it, as much as I can on this topic, but the more I read and the more I understood what was or the more I read and the more I understood what was going on and the situations people were crying crying foul about, I realized that most people didn't understand what they were talking about. So then I tried to engage in conversations, asking clarifying questions, hoping that I might get to some place of understanding or at least help them to see maybe they haven't really gotten the full picture and they really need to think about what they're speaking on. But unfortunately, not many people really ever got past the offense of my questions. But I felt during the season I had a crisis of faith that these leaders I looked up to and respected were silent and they weren't giving me any indication on what I needed to do as a believer in these situations. There were hints every now and then of how things might be understood, but was never direct and clear. When I began to realize and learn that something needed to be said and somebody had to stand up, I just started standing up, not knowing why, but knowing that I needed to. I then began to learn that there was almost this silencing of the church because we were told we cannot be offensive and our message would be received better if we remained seeker-friendly and didn't call out people for the depravity of their sin or the depravity of the choices that they are making that is causing their life to ultimately be miserable, we were just said, or we were just told to coax them and love on them, or comfort them and love on them. There were days when I really didn't know if I was doing the right thing. I obviously asked my husband, and he was on board with me standing up and speaking truth. He didn't really like it because he doesn't like that kind of attention, and he saw, but he saw what God was doing with my voice, and then it mattered when the messages began, it came in. When the message began, it came in saying that they appreciated, well, the private messages when they came in, they were saying that they appreciated me for being vocal or even in person. They would say that they they needed to hear those things so that they could find their way to speak up and know that they weren't alone. So it was interesting on one hand that all the leaders I looked up to and craved their approval and affection or, were silent and some even withdrew and cut me off. But there were enough people God brought my way to encourage me until I found some voices that did appreciate the stand for truth that I was taking. I was in my hometown and this lady tried to reach out to me but had some troubles getting in contact with me because we changed phone numbers and we're not the easiest person to always know the best way to contact. So we finally got together to meet for lunch and she told me she had wanted to meet with me for some time, but she didn't have my number. So she told God that if she didn't connect some way with someone to help me get connected, us connected, she was just going to give up. And that day, a lady ran into her that knew my number and was able to connect us. It was awesome. I really didn't know what to expect at the lunch because I've had many of these lunches and it never typically went well where people were excited to tell me what they had to say. So I was a little apprehensive. I didn't, so let me just go back to that. I didn't really know what to expect at the lunch, but I was. <clears throat> I was going to trust that God had give I didn't realize the gift that God had given me in this woman. She spoke to my heart and called out the things in me that I knew were there but had never seen anyone truly recognize them out loud before. It was like all those times I had f- had to fight to stand up for truth and was rejected and criticized and canceled in some way that God gave me this fresh brush of air to fill up my sails again and and carry on. She's not one that speaks like regularly into my life but when she does, it's gold and it's like a cold cup of water for me to sit and savor and then carry on the journey God has told me to. And so sometimes you've got to recognize that this is not always going to be someone who says, okay, i like to mentor you. I see something in you and I think it's worth fighting for. It may be that God brings someone to tell you something that you need to hear. Sometimes it may be the same person or sometimes it may be different people, but the message is the same. And so start to think outside the box how you can find your network of support. As you begin to take the stand and we all have different platforms, so it's going to look differently and we're going to find them in different places. But I want you to make sure you have solid people that you can look to to speak into you and what God's called you to do. Before I had experiences like this one lady, I even remember being in this position of service that we're currently in trying to lead people to see the heart of God and I wrestled with this. Do we really need to call out their sin? Do we really need to focus on all the things that won't make people want to come to understand the faith? Part of this battle was because I was in some situations where the weight of doing the right thing to seem to be more important, like the weight of doing things right, seemed to be more important than the weight of understanding God's heart for us. I was seeing the fallout of people that were told, if you just did the right thing, then your life will be blessed. And if your life's not blessed, then you're not doing the right thing. So you better work harder to make sure you never have struggles. It was devastating It was miserable and unlivable, and so many people gave up because they weren't willing to put this unattainable goal that never seemed to give them the satisfaction of knowing they were approved, accepted, and loved by God unconditionally. I was ready to set them free and show them the life God had offered us, and not striving and struggle to obtain something He had already freely given us. Because we can rest in His acceptance and love, because it's full and complete from the moment we're born to the moment we die, and all the time, before and in between, and afterwards." through eternity. I'm still working on that, but I know it's worth fighting for because people's hearts matter and we are fighting for and struggling and wrestling for a way for them to help them understand the heart of God is worth fighting for them or it's worth fighting for. And I think some of that comes from understanding our lack and where we fall short. And that requires us talking about difficult things like sin and disobedience. But now I've seen some, uh, but But now I'm seeing that if we do not have hard conversations with people around us, if we don't stand up for what is right and true and good in the Bible, then the people will never see their need for Jesus. They will never see their need to turn away from whatever they're pursuing in order to receive what God has for them. It's in recognizing our lack or our inability to do anything on our own, apart from the generosity and mercy of God, that we are lost. So to bring it back around, it's like for me, I broke free of the mold that I was forced to take on, even though I didn't know that's what it was. So when it came around to recognizing that there was something that we could do to stop abortions in our city, there was nothing that was going to stop me to do it. But then there were crickets. I couldn't find anyone around me who was willing to join in the fight. There are people who are passionate about this topic, but they didn't have permission to join the fight. And I beat my head against the wall trying to figure out what I could do to raise up something in people who I knew agreed with me. I knew agreed with what the Bible said, but they did not have the freedom to do it. And it baffled me. So I'm processing all of this, realizing it wasn't that they didn't have the freedom to do it. It it was that they didn't have the freedom to do it on their own. And it was much worse than that. Their leaders that they had let take over the authority position in their life, which we all need, had silenced them and said, You're not to move in this way. Don't make a fuss. Don't get a target on your back. When we, as a church, do not encourage our citizens to register vote to vote, that is a bad place to be. We should be a place that encourages citizens, members of our kingdom-minded community, to be engaged so that we can influence our cities, as an influence in our neighborhood and influence in our neighborhoods. We need to be an um, influence in our cities and in our neighborhoods, in our communities. We are to be influencing people, not letting it go the other way. We are supposed to be influencing the world, but what has happened to the church? The church is being influenced by the world. Any church who has any conversation about white privilege, slavery, and oppression, the founding of our nation, except to honor God and how he orchestrated so many amazing things, has been influenced by the world. We know many churches have, influent, have been influenced by the LBGTQ plus, AIA plus tolerance message. We know many have said, it's not so bad. We'll let you come in and then we'll never address the sin the church reflects more of the world than I've ever seen it reflect anything else during this current season. There's a church in my hometown that we lived in that has become one of the social justice meccas of the city. And it's funneled by so-called it's, I mean the people in attendance are the so-called Christian professors that all go to this Christian community church together. They're Christian university pressures professors and they all go to the community church, this Christian community church together. And it's crazy to me how you can have people who are influencing our young adults through the university system telling people it's okay to be in opposition to what the Bible says is true. It's okay to have diversity and be inclusive. It's okay to have equity, even though we know the Bible is not about equity except in terms of how we all treated in regards to our sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the only equity we get. We know the story of workers that show up at eight and work all day and then the last group comes in at five and, and their the foreman comes and says, All right, let's all give you the same amount of money. The people who showed up earlier are like, That's not fair and Jesus says, It's not about what you getting it's not about you getting what you think is fair. It's about you getting what you deserve. And those who have been given much are grateful for all they've been given. So the Bible is not going to be equitable any churches that use this word has let the world influence them stop being a person who struggles with this cognitive dissonance of leadership telling you to just be silent don't make waves and let them know we are Christians by our love start using your voice in a way that people are desperately crying out for if we would open our eyes and see there are people running around and screaming while we're playing the music and they're saying that's not helpful to me right now and I need to know what's going to happen Am I going to live or I'm going to die? What does my future hold? It's our job to say, it's okay. Let us bring this peace of God, the peace of God in the situation. And no matter what the the outcome, you have trusted and know that God is in control of your life. And that gives the hope and peace no matter what happens to them. It changes everything. While you change nothing, you're not responsible to change your outcomes. You're responsible to show them that God changes everything in those circumstances then at least at the last minute their life, they'll hold on to living it with hope and knowledge for who God is. And the illustration breaks down a little bit. You know, I mean, all those people were trapped down below. What do you do with all those people? I mean, we really can't take it to the fullness of it because it is just an illustration. But if I'm sitting around playing and doing my thing that I think is working without being encouraged to look around and see what is needed... And others don't understand why I'm doing it. It doesn't matter that I'm bringing glory to God through my act of worship, and that can look through music, living, serving. There's so many ways of doing our act of worship. But if we're not keyed into the culture around us, we can be just modeling what our leadership has done and said, and and doing pretending like it doesn't exist. Their need, their hurt, their pain, their suffering is not is not real because we're just focused on our response to God. And again, the illustration breaks down a little bit. But I'm seeing the church talk about a message that doesn't provide the answers that people need. If I'm struggling with homosexuality, what do I do with that? I feel this way. I've felt this way all my life. The world tells me it's normal and I'm miserable. What do I do with that? We need to be offering that more regularly and more freely as a church and not just giving topical messages that make the majority feel good and encouraged for the most part. Again, I'm not saying every person is this way or every church is this way. I'm saying there's a general attitude and approach to life that has becoming more worrisome because of what the church is not encouraging its members to do. And I even was studying like Ephesians where it says that we are the church. We don't go to a building for the church. The church comes into a building together to gather. And then we go out and influence our community. So how are we preparing each church to do that as they leave it matters that we draw others in and comfort them and take them to a place where they they can experience the heart of the father and that comes through difficult conversations in those times of desperation we need to be out there helping women understand that they're not going to find love from a man who won't marry them We need to help empower men to know that they are never going to find their true identity and purpose unless they stand up and be the warrior God created them to be. That masculinity is not toxic because it is something that was created for men to reflect the image of God. Let us begin to celebrate that and change and make an impact in lives around us. So we've seen that to be true that we've been silent and not given a voice to speak into the places that individual members of the community. We are told to let the leadership have that megaphone, and they're the ones to speak for us. But guess what happens? Then all of a sudden, we're given a choice, and say, we're not going to tell you what to do it with. We're not going to tell you what to do. You get to decide what to do. It. There's no preparation. There's no training. There's no modeling how it looks. It's just dropped in your lap, and it feels like a bait and switch. Don't speak out. Don't acknowledge what's going on outside in the real world. Don't deal with cultural issues. Just stay focused on the word of God and these key areas, which we tell you to focus on. Then flip the script and they give you a choice to do whatever you feel led to do with no preparation, no warning, no knowledge. Acknowledgement that this is an unusual message for them to communicate your freedom. So now the action or the inability to do something is greater than the freedom. We now have to do it. We're paralyzed. While they didn't tell us what to do, at least what they told us all along is... This is what we're going to do. So how do we know what we're to do once they drop this freedom to respond on our laps with no skilling, warning or preparation that this is even coming? It can be quite overwhelming and frustrating, frustrating and paralyzing all the same time. So what was your chance to finally respond to what you feel God is calling you to respond to is so off putting that, like I said, you're paralyzed. You really can do nothing. The leadership has never given you this freedom before. And now you're supposed to know what to do without them telling you to me it seems a little manipulative because on one hand they get to tell you they're giving you the freedom to choose while dropping it in your life in such a way that it paralyzes you to be unable to really respond to the most important question that you're trying to address through this freedom. So this is why this podcast matters. You've been told to wait and I will tell you what to do or believe but the problem is you're so disconnected and you don't know how to stand up and have an argument or have a healthy dispute to clarify truth that protects us from error like the quote. I what I quoted earlier from Greg Kugel in tactics. You don't learn how to live by reading about how you should live. You learn how to live by living your life. The Bible talks about us being purified by the fire that only comes when we actually live and try to do things God has called us to. And we get rid of the stuff we don't need. It's a beautiful process, painful, not necessarily fun, but it is how life works and how we are going to grow and be the people God has created us to be. You have a voice. You have something that needs to be shared and deposited in the place that God has for you. At this point, there's no reason not to stand up for something. It may just be standing up and saying, go vote. And that is such a benign thing. It may be, this is what the Bible says is truth. This is what the world says. And they're in conflict. And we have to trust what the Bible says over what the world says. It may be just standing up and saying, you know what to be true. There's so many things and that's why I mentioned this is going to be a part two because we are all created and wired differently and our goal is to reflect and be like Jesus, but we're going to have to work through that process in completely different ways based on how God has wired us. I keep repeating myself multiple times and I'm sure you're like, didn't you say this every other podcast episode? But I understand so why I'm starting to understand why so many of you do not get this battle in your mind and why you're having to fight through it so hard. I mean, I've had conversations with people like, I'm just so disappointed. I thought people were on board and I don't know what to do when they tell me they don't want to support making our hometown a place where abortion is illegal. It seemed like such an obvious thing we were all going to be on board on. And the conflict and the, and the rejection of this idea was so off-putting. It knocked a lot of us on our feet. And so I know that we're having to work through this process as well, and I hope that this helps you understand to some degree why you feel the way you feel if you're trying to stand up for the first time and it feels miserable and frustrating and weird and off-putting and all those things. A friend of mine reminded me just the other day that there were actually many Jews who helped send fellow Jews to concentration camps during World War II. Our minds cannot wrap around that because that's what happens when you don't stand up and learn to use critical thinking that God has given us. We become accessories to those who are being led away to the slaughter. I think most of us realize that just because people look like they're living the good life, we know they're struggling based on how many people are in and out of presence and battling through depression. We know it, some of those are even believers who, who don't know how to connect what God has told them that sets them free to living that applicably, or really applying that into their lives, and so we know that people have questions, and we have the answers. We know their choices are leading up to eternal separation from God in some cases where there is no glimpse of his presence, and sometimes that's the self-fulfilling pro- prop it's uh, pro- yeah, so the prophecy where I don't experience God, so therefore he must not care, therefore I walk further away from God and don't give him opportunities to show up, therefore. My heart becomes cold to him because he's failed me. And then my hurt and wounds, in essence, reject me or isolate me from the very one who wants to offer me the hope and healing that I long for. Because there was no one to say that is not the truth. Go back, run to him, run to the father. He's there ready and willing to lavishly love you. We just got to get all the protective measures out of the way. I keep coming up with all these illustrations that feel so appropriate for the topic, so I hope they're helpful more than making this drag out. (laughs) Um, It's like those who want to run our country without God being the center of it. It's falling apart, and it's on fire. There's nothing really going well, and we can trace it back to where this shift happened. So many people were benefiting from and are still benefiting from the culture of the Christian worldview that they don't realize That as they are shoving it out of the forefront and trying to get it out and sterilize it from the public square, they are depriving everyone of this understanding of who God is. They're actually creating their own destruction. They're preparing their demise. So our job now is to restore that beautiful foundation that has allowed us to live in such an amazing nation. I am rereading through this book called The American Covenant by Marshall Foster, and it talks about how our nation was founded on a covenant with God. Never at any point in the process did the founding fathers ever feel like America was going to replace Israel as God's chosen nation. Never did the founders ever want our nation to be a Christian state, which does not allow for religious liberty. Our founders created a Christian nation because we know that if we do not understand our inalienable rights given by God, then we cannot walk in freedom and we cannot truly experience the life that we were created for. I'm also, or I just also recently finished this book called The 25 Lies Exposing exposing Democrats' most dangerous, seductive, damnable, destructive lies and how to refute them by Vince Everett Ellison. And some of the things he said were so fro- so profound, it had nothing to do with the destructive evil practices of the Democratic Party. It actually had to do with some things about a famous person in history I heard about. I do know that the Democrats have played a big role in, some of, in most of what is going on in our nation, but the N- Democrats can't get all the credit, so we have to be careful not to dismiss all the other powers at work. Passive Republicans have not helped, weak and ineffective leadership has not helped. But in this book, he explains how Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech and how off it actually was. You're thinking, what? Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech is not helpful for people? It's so powerful. It offended me. I'll be honest. I was offended. I was like, how can I even wrap my mind around this? We've grown up knowing that this is one of the most monumental moments in our civil rights movement to give up the people that the actual worth and value they've always deserved and deprived of by some of our laws and practices in our history. He said this wasn't true. So as I'm reading this, I'm just blown away by what he's trying to get me to understand to wake up from that cognitive dissonance of what history books in my social studies class and basically everyone I know has ever said. He said that it was off because no one could give us freedom. We have freedom solely and completely because of God. The problem is, and here's where I've taken this even to another level of understanding for me. This is not what he's necessarily said in the book, but this is what I'm seeing is that, or maybe he even said it, but I'm going to go off a little bit here. They always were looking, people will always be looking for a master. So we know in Romans it says we are slaves, but God has given us our freedom. So even though we're free in Christ, we're still slaves to God. It doesn't matter where we are in life, we have freedom because God has given it to us. But if we choose to be slaves and sin in our flesh, which, talk, you know, I said talks about in Romans, we're always going to be seeking a master control us. So many people have been told a lie that they don't have freedom and they need the government to give it to them. That's his takeaway. What will you do to start speaking that message to so many around you who are not black or not white or doesn't really matter the color because that's not what this is about, but they don't understand that they have freedom because God gave it to them and it's waiting for them to receive it. I mentioned this already, but we're studying the book of Ephesians and I heard something that was really amazing. It blew my mind by Skip Heitzig. He said, it was interesting as God gave Israelites the promised land and told them to take hold of it. You got to clear out the enemy and take hold of what is yours. This is your inheritance. This is a blessing that I'm giving you. Interestingly enough, we read about how they took hold of what they've been given and we're thinking that's awesome. We know that they didn't get rid of all the high places and in their promised land and that caused them problems later on and probably still causes us problem because of their inaction to take hold of what God had given them to claim their blessing. But what is interesting is he said that God gave them around 300,000 square miles of promised land that was theirs completely. It was their inheritance. Unfortunately, they did not walk in who God said they were and they did not take hold or claim all of their inheritance and left so much untouched. How much untouched, you might ask? They actually only conquered and took hold of 30,000 square miles. Actually, ten about 10% of what their actual inheritance was. How many of us are not standing up and taking hold of the inheritance God has given us because we're told we're not allowed to speak up? That we have to speak truth and clear away some of the the giants in our own land, and our own belief system that keeps us from inheriting the identity that God has given us in him. I know this is a lot, but... Who you allow to encourage you to do what God has told you matters. And I'm going to talk about this more in the next podcast. So join me and hang on. I'll get to it as soon as I can. <laughs> I've chosen some more. I've really chosen some poor mentors in the past. They were women that people thought the world up and still do. But for me, they gave me an ability to have some, they gave me some ability to have some covering, which I honestly needed. But I realized their covering was keeping me bent over and I had to step out under it and move on. It was the hardest thing I had to do because I needed someone who could see what God had called me to and would encourage me to do it. And I felt like these were my big sisters that God had given me. I always wanted a sister. I only had brothers. So on many levels, it was really hard for me to let go once God brought it to my attention. I cannot tell you how freeing it is to get, and let me be honest, some of them, they let me go before I let them go. So it wasn't like I was the one stepping out. They walked away and I had to learn how to receive the message given as not as rejection, but as a blessing because God was allowing me to step into something that would allow me to stand tall and walk in the authority he had given me. But it was a harder thing to do because I need someone who could see what God had called me to do and would encourage me to do it. I cannot tell you how free it is to get under someone who wants you to walk in freedom and wants you to experience all that God has for you. Like that lady who took me to lunch. <clears> hmm. <throat> So many leaders and so many people we place in leadership positions over us want us to experience what God has for us, but they're afraid and they don't want us to get too far away from the safe zone because they can't rein it back and it could get dangerous. God is not safe. He doesn't call us to do things that are safe. He calls us to take risk and live by faith. There are things that we are called to do. If our mentors do not bless us in those things, we're going to play it safe because of their ability to speak into our lives. And that will then lead us to do the predictable path that never gets us too far off to the right or too far off to the left. And we're just like these poor Jewish people who have created the fences around themselves through the Talmud that they don't know how to enjoy the life God has given them. And so the Talmud was written during the silence periods when God was silent and they were so afraid of messing up again. They created all these rules to keep them from working on the Sabbath or eating the wrong foods or doing things so that they really have such a limited life. They're living because they're so afraid of messing up that they never live. So that's a great topic to look more into because enjoying life might meant they'd get to the danger zone and it might offend God, like I said. I wish I could know where I received this encouragement that I'm about to share with you or where I began to understand this because it just all of a sudden it was there and I don't even know where it came from. But one thing I have found is that God would rather fix our mistakes because we're pursuing him with all that we have and standing up for truth than he would, like, than he would prefer us to stay in the corner and play it safe. It reminds me of the parable of the talents. That one guy that buries what the landowner gives him loses it all because he didn't do what the owner asked him to and he played it safe. So your five minute challenge is to spend some time with the Lord and ask him, where are you playing it safe? And where has he told you to take a stand? And go go not only and claim your own inheritance, but speak life into those who are needing answers. They don't even know the question they're needing to ask yet. Also ask the Lord to show you. Who would challenge you to walk in those things he's called you to? And maybe someone that's not helping you get there. Ask him how best you can navigate out of that relationship so that you can have the space to walk into one that will encourage you to do the things God has asked you to do. Don't forget to check out Tactics. It's an awesome book to help you give confidence to walk through some of the conversations that you need to get, you're going to need to have along the way. It's worth it and so satisfying to know that you put your faith in God and he showed up and delivered just like he said he would. So many people need that and are waiting for you to be the one to speak into their lives. So go find out what that looks like for you to do as you learn how to stand and position yourself under people who will encourage you to do those things that God has called you to do. So find a way to take your stand and I pray blessings over you as you do it. Until next time.